Welcome to the Writer's Hour, where we have creative conversations with up-and-coming authors on their latest books. This is the place to be if you wish to get a preview of new books that are available for the voracious bibliophile, as well as the story behind the story for the voyeur who wishes a peek behind the creative curtain. Here's your host, Janine Bolin. I'm Janine Bolin, and today I'm lucky enough to have not only a friend, a fellow writer, but also a fellow educator, uh, Stephen Oliver, who has written multiple books. But the book we're going to be focusing on today is Unleash Your Dreams, Going Beyond Goal Setting. The reason why I'm so ecstatic that we have Stephen with us today is because he and I have so many similarities. We call it different things, but both he and I had degrees, had experiences in engineering. We were both kind of in automation and software. We're both systems-oriented people. And then to find out that we were writing about how to live a successful life just in different ways. So I'm ecstatic to have Stephen with us. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. One of the things I absolutely enjoyed was where you were talking about, and then I decided to learn to be a certified adult educator. And both you and I went back and got certifications and degrees late, what some people would say late in life. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what kind of decided that factor for you. What made you want to get into adult education? It was the fact that I was working as a software engineer for a large Swiss bank. Um, Can't give any names, but I had been the uh, systems the designer, so to speak, on the whole thing. And once it came to implementation, we then had to train the people. And so I was teaching people how to use this software we developed, uh, very important software for this uh, bank, actually. Uh, as far as I know, it's still working 20 years later. But the point is that we were training the people to do it. And I wanted to make sure I knew how to train people properly. I'd done a few courses um, purely by instinct. Um, And then I decided, no, I've got to learn how to do this properly because if I'm going to be doing this a lot, it really looks good if you get a certificate which you can hand in to a prospective employee, employer rather, and say, this is, you know, proof that I do. Um, So I went on that. It was uh, basically over a year, X number of modules, had to keep going back and doing all sorts of things. But the point was, in the, I decided in the end to get the certification so that I can say, this is me. I am trained. The ironic thing is, it turned out that I'd actually been doing it all right in the first place without taking the course. In fact, the only thing that was new to me was writing a concept for a course as opposed to writing a concept for software. And even there, there were similarities I could pick up on and use. So one of the things I I know for me, it was a delight learning how different people learned. Like that was one of my favorite aspects of going back and getting my master's in education was just learning all the different ways people learn so that I could cater to those in whatever I was doing. And so one of the other things I wanted to share with the listeners was the fact that you and I both have a similar, I don't know if you want to call him a role model, but he definitely was for me as a teacher. I wanted to be able to hold the attention the way Danny Kay was able to hold the attention of, of students and people on screen with his 
his comedy. So you have him highlighted here in your book, Unleash Your Dreams, Going Beyond Goal Setting. You have a whole section here dedicated to dreaming, how to dream. And then you bring up Danny Kay. So that was a point where I was like, oh, I've got to have Stephen on my, my podcast show. <laughs> so share with us a little bit about Danny Kay and why you picked him. Um, I picked Danny Kay because he was, uh, if you like, a role model for me. He was somebody who grew up in some of the worst circumstances. When he was about 14, his father walked out on the family. And as the oldest son, he was the one who actually then had to go out and earn money gave up school and everything um, and supported the family until, you know, he, well, for the rest of his life, basically. Uh, and the point is that he still had dreams. He dreamed of being a doctor. He dreamed of being an actor. He dreamed of being a comedian, a singer, a dancer, and all these things. And he actually achieved just about everything he wanted as a 14 year old he dreamed of all these wonderful things he owned a gourmet restaurant for instance he was a conductor at the uh, new york philharmonic uh, on a guest appearance all these weird and wonderful dreams he had he got and that is uh, such an inspiration you know as um i think it was yes it was uh what disney said if you can dream it you can achieve it and I think that is so important. We have to dream. We have to have dreams. We have to have goals. We have to think, this is what I want. Because I haven't mentioned this in the book, but it's true that Harvard did an experiment. They noted down or got a classes and seeing how many of them had set goals in their life. And those who had set goals had not only achieved those goals, but were on average earning up to a million dollars more in their lifetimes. Because they had said, I am going to do this, bang, and there it is. If you don't set goals, somebody else is going to set your goals for you. And that, unfortunately, is something that is true as today. Um, you can see that in all the young people who aren't quite sure what they want. And that was one of the inspirations for writing this book in the first place, to give something easy. Because I've done goal-setting courses, which I was sent to by a bank, and, okay, they're, they're brilliant ideas, but unfortunately, they are no good if you are doing this for personal development, for personal goals. They're only actually good for your job because the three things that come out of it is what, when, how much. That's all you get out of those. But what if your goal is to become a software engineer? What if your goal is to take up uh, operatic singing? You may never be very good, but you want to have the training. What if your goal is to be a millionaire? Even that is a personal goal and not a business goal, as it were. So all of these things, you need to set the goals. And Danny Kay is the man who managed to do it all. It's so ironic that he's the man who played Walter Mitty. Isn't it, though? Yeah. Uh, the first time I ever saw Danny Kay was, of course, when he was singing Make Them Laugh. And of course, I was trying to learn how to make people laugh because I had lived in so many cultures as a young person that I found that sometimes laughter wasn't cult it was very culturally specific. And what was funny in one culture was actually insulting in another. <laughs> so you had to you had to be careful. You had to know your audience. So I learned very early on. But one of the things that I really enjoyed about your book is you you talk about 
it all. You talk about spirituality and vision. And I know you and I have had private conversations about how important vision is in your development of your goals, of your of your dreams. So would you talk a little bit about a person's spirituality and their personal vision? Well, vision is important in everything. In fact, um, one of the things I learned on this uh, adult education course is when you're writing a concept, the first thing you need is a vision. Your vision is what you are aiming to achieve. It's not how you're going to achieve it. That's what the rest of the concept is about. But the first thing is, what do I want? Um, as I said before, these are your goals. And this affects how you will grow as a person. You, if you drift, then I'm afraid, you know, your spirituality will never go anywhere. But if you have a, something you're aiming at and you aim it with a good heart and a good soul to get there, then this is going to advance your spirituality. You don't need to go and do special spiritual exercises necessarily. You don't have to go to an ashram or meditate every day. But if you your aims are good, your vision is brilliant, and it's there for people to see what you have achieved in your life, you're going to encourage other people. I mean, there's this famous uh, speech that... Uh, Nelson Mandela gave with the quote, it's at the end of the book, where he was saying, don't hide your light under the bucket. Because all you're doing is discouraging other people. If you set your vision and it will encourage the people to have their visions. And if the people follow their visions, all the people follow their visions, their good visions, their brilliant, bright ideas, then the world will be such a better place. The problem is, I think, that so many people have given up on that and they just let themselves be pushed around. And uh, that's not good for us. I agree. It is not good for us. And I, I see it as like living life by default. Well, this is where I am. There's no way for me to move forward. And so that's why it was so important to me that I bring you in front of listeners because you have seen all those different areas, not only in your own life, but in your own family, like I have, where we've seen the family members that just totally gave up on dreams. And they actually inspired people like you and I not to do that because they just totally gave up on, on it. And then you and I both have family members that were the dreamers that never accomplished them, right? They could dream like anybody, but they never were practical enough, or they didn't have the systems necessary for them to achieve their goals. So I'd like to kind of bring it down into three-dimensional reality a little bit so you have these dreams and sometimes it takes a friend to kind of help remind you that you used to have these dreams talk to people that you were younger with because some people can't even remember the dreams they had when they were younger and uh, you mentioned this wonderful thing called the wow strategy and i hadn't ever heard this part of goal setting described this way so if you'd educate us a little bit about you have this vision, you kind of have these dreams. How does the wow strategy help you? The wow strategy is basically those times when you achieve something on the way and you go, wow, I did that. Um, when you do that, there will be a feeling inside you, a core feeling you will do something or f say something you might go as I was uh, I used to be in civil defense. And when I was told I'd been promoted, what I did was fist up in the air going, yeah. And that was my wow for that day. <laughs> now, the thing is, with the wow strategy is, you note these all down for yourself because they are 
um, your reactions, your beliefs coming out. Yes, I have achieved this. Actually, the first time I ever saw it, it was um, on a course being given by um, an NLP master trainer called Peter Fritcher. Um, the course was actually for writers. It was the course that broke the first cracks, as it were, in my fear of writing. And with the wow strategy, we put them, he, we, everyone came up with a, a wow of some kind. And we actually put it on a little piece of paper and it was stuck on the flip chart. And then we could look and see if somebody else had done a better wow, one which we liked, and we could borrow that. But the point was, every time during the course we had a wow, we went back and, as it were, put our hands on the wow that we had created and remembered that feeling again. And, as it were, we were stacking wows on top of each other, which is what I suggest in the book. And you are building up, you are anchoring this positive feeling, this feedback, yes, I am doing it, and that encourages you further. So often when you're going along, you get the feeling, I'm not getting anywhere. What you really need is to see the difference as making a difference. And now one of those big differences is, how am I feeling? The biggest, best feedback we can ever have is, how do I feel about what I've just done? Do I feel good? Do I feel not good? If I don't feel good, then maybe I've done something that I shouldn't do or I didn't want to do. Or do I feel, yes, I have done this. I have achieved something oh, wonderful. Make yourself a little wow sheet or a little wow board or whatever and go and put it on there. Put your hand on top. Remember that feeling because that will become a talisman. I totally agree with you because there are certain elements of every culture I have been affiliated with, which I've lived in seven different types of cultures. And one of the things that I have noticed is that certain cultures really downplay any kind of a personal achievement. And so when I ran across your wow strategy, I was like, this is so important that you acknowledge what you have accomplished and only hold yourself as the bar. Like it's better than what I did before. And you hear this all the time in leadership training, but what I don't think a lot of people knew is I went and researched how Kings and Queens used to be trained. Those that were considered to be the premier leaders of their era. And one of the things that was so important is they were never trained in team courses or team sports all of their sporting was self-imposed so they had to achieve their highest score were they achieving something more so talk to us a little bit if you don't mind about some areas where we can kind of take take a look see about okay here are areas where we sometimes downplay what we do when in actuality we should be giving ourselves a wow oh. Well, quite honestly, most areas of life come under that. <laughs> I gave you a wide open field on purpose so you could talk about anything you want. <laughs> yeah, but the, the thing is, the thing is, when we, um, you know, personal relationships, just one thing, you know, but people think, oh, I'm not worthy of, of that girl, that man, boy, whatever I, I can see over there at a party. That's downplaying yourself instead of thinking I'm a special, unique human being. Um, in my own personal life, when I started making that bright breakthrough and realizing I am a special person, 
everyone is a special person. Um, I was out with a uh, at a friend's place. He, he and I were working on a project together. He was a hardware engineer. I was a software engineer. And as I left his place, I ran into his mother, who was just popping around to say hello. And I, I chatted with her a couple of minutes, and then I went. And then when I got home, he phoned up and he said, you really impressed my mother. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, she said, was that Stephen I met coming into the, ha- in, into the house? And I said, and he said, yeah. He said, I didn't recognize him. He was so self-confident. <laughs> and that is the, that's the thing. You know, we do ourselves down. We're taught to do ourselves down. You know, uh, my father was... Um, was preeminent with that. Um, I remember the first time my mother cooked him dinner. He, they, te- they tell me. I, I mean, I wasn't around at the time, but she cooked him something very special, and he went, "Not bad." And she burst out crying because my mother is Swiss, and she didn't know in the English culture you downplay everything. Not bad means very good in England, <laughs> and it took her a long time to learn to learn that, but. That's doing yourself down, saying not bad. It's when someone says, oh, yeah, oh, this dress, you know, something that they've just spent 25 hours making. And they go, oh, this dress, just something I threw together. You know, that's doing yourself down. Praise yourself. Praise what you are doing, because you're the one that's doing it and you're achieving something that's never been achieved before. Um, One of the things arguments that I used to have with myself when I started writing fiction is, well, all these subjects have been done before, you know, who's going to want to listen to another vampire story or another love story or another whatever. But uh, Joe Vitale said, you're going to put your own spin on the story. It might be somebody needs to hear that story your way. Um, Since I took that to heart, I've I've written this book and I've written another million odd words on top of that. So I would say that that probably has worked for me very well. I'm unique. I tell my stories my way. And I've been told by other writers, they love my style. Um, and I've even got, I've got two short stories that have been collected uh, in anthologies, which are due to come out later this year. And I have two full novels, which are being looked at by a publisher and an agent. So, you know, other people are beginning to like what I'm doing, which is great because that makes you feel good. Even if they then say, oh, it's not really fitting in, they have at least taken the time to look at it and consider you. And I just want to say congratulations on that. You went from a writer who totally had no confidence and didn't think that what you had to say was special. And it's always wonderful to see when a writer goes, you know what, I have something important to say. So I want to say congratulations to that. Mm-hmm. And I also would like to talk to you, talk to the point that you bring up. And this is for any listener is that sometimes you're just not a good fit for that moment for that person. So like I did have the Oprah Winfrey show reach out to me one time. And when they found out what I did and how I was working the 60, 40 principle and and that part of my business, they said, you're really not a good fit for the show, but we'll keep considering you. And so I would reach back around every year, but I could tell that the way the show was moving, I was not a good fit, but that 
relationship. And because I didn't get down in the mouth about it, and I didn't just say, oh, well, nobody wants me then, because I kept pursuing it, I ended up getting other contacts, other networks where I was the perfect fit for that magazine article, for that particular reporter, for that. So also just realize that just because you're told no in the moment doesn't mean that it's no permanently. It means you're the you're being told who is your perfect demographic. And so thank you, Stephen, for sharing that with us. I I have a story I can tell on that as well. Oh, I'd Um, love to hear it. um, uh, As a software engineer, I was looking for a new job and I applied through various employment agencies and I was sent to one and talking to this guy. And within four or five minutes, it was obvious that I, I was not a good fit for them and they were not a good fit for me. But we did the whole interview. He showed me around, showed me what was done. And then he said at the end, I wanted to show you around to show what we do, but I know your freewheeling way of doing things will not fit the way we do it. We need somebody who can, you know, do exactly what we want. We don't want somebody who can come up with a creative solution. In other words, you know, I don't fit, but it was in instant, almost instantly uh, obvious, but I didn't let that take me down. And he confirmed he thought I was great, but just not for them. I was the square, uh, the, the, the square peg in the round hole or I would have been. And so it behooves everybody. And usually those sorts of situations is what I use as a business person to set up a referral situation. If somebody's going to take the time to actually show me around and show me everything that they're doing, I can better than send them the people they're looking for. And as business owners, whether you're a writer, I I don't care what your business is, what your art is, there's always somebody that you have in your network who may fit for them. And a referral is 10 times better than anything, you know, than cold calling or or what have you. So let's keep moving on in your book because you have, (laughs) by the way, we are just tip of iceberg here on this book. This book is loaded. Unleash your dreams going beyond goal setting. It's amazing how many decades of material are in this book. So I highly recommend you go out and buy it. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about, you know, you move from dreaming to visualization to how to set your goals, but the part is living the dream. Okay. Because I think this is where a lot of people give up on their goals because they don't think they're living the dream and they don't realize they're on the cusp. So talk to us a little bit about the tote model that you describe in your book about how to live your dream. The tote model is actually very interesting because it's the basic system that almost every mechanical electronic system works on. The idea, TOTE, is the acronym Test, Operate, Test, Exit. And the idea is you test, have I achieved my goal? No. Then you operate to do something and you test again, have I achieved my goal? No. And you keep going around that loop until you've achieved the goal, the step, whatever, and then you exit and go on to the next one. And as I show in the diagram there, those can actually be within other ones. So if you've got a big goal, you may have smaller goals and steps along the way. And each time you go, have I got it? Yes. Okay. And carry on. No, I need to do some more. Every mechanical engineer and electronics engineer will tell you this is exactly how most control system works. This is a basic cybernetic function, which is a part of our nervous system, you know, 
Who is going to say we've achieved the goal? We have to decide that for ourselves. But the whole point is you need to keep checking. Have I got it? Have I got it? Have I got it? I do say at one point in the story, um, when I was working on achieving goals with a partner, well, basically it was a, a, a buddy, so to speak, um, to have accountability. And I discovered I had achieved 80% of my goals and that because I hadn't been testing to see have I got it. It was only when Pat, my partner, in that uh, exercise made me look at it and I realized I've actually got 80% of what I achieved and I didn't even know it. So that is a part of goal setting is have I actually got there? Because people will overshoot the mark or they'll veer off in another direction. All these things you need to keep checking. Am I doing it? If I'm if I'm sending out submissions, for instance, then after a while, unless they specifically said otherwise, I will get in contact and say, I haven't heard from you for a while. You know, am I still in the running or uh, do I strike you off my list? Or uh, if I'm trying to build a business, you know, what was my income this year? Was it higher than last year or lower than last year? Um, if it was higher, what did I do? What operations did I do? to get that extra money because I can build those into the next process to increase. So the way we work, the way we think is actually based on that. It's just that I formalized it because so many people don't even realize that that's what they need to do. And that's that beautiful part where you talk about writing down your goals. You hear this from a lot of people who share how to be successful. Write down your goals, review them every day. And that's why, because sometimes we get busy and we won't look at our goals for a week or two. And one of the things that was absolutely shocking to me two years ago was I had accomplished my 12-month goals, my one, my annual goals, and I did it in three months and I had to start all over and start over again. I thought it was going to take me a year and Everybody's like, oh, so sad. Aren't you crying about that, right? But it's like, you're right, though. We don't realize how much we are accomplishing. And so we have to go back and revisit it. But yes, the, the thing I loved about your book was because I'm an analytical biochemist by training, I could see where you had taken beautifully the sciences and the systems that we use for testing and observing systems. And then you made them very actionable and very easy to understand for anybody could pick up this book and totally walk with it. So was there anything else that you wanted to talk about as far as living your dreams in the moment before we move on to the next one? Living your dreams requires dedication and passion. You've got to say, I am going to do this. And then going back to the tote model, we have to take action. As I like to say, people talk about the law of attraction. You know, I can visualize what I'm doing and then they just sit there and that's all they ever do. You have got to take action. Um, I, in fact, I suggest if you, your goal is to get, I don't know, um, a Bugatti 110 or uh, a new dress or whatever, you have to go take steps to get that. If you're going to buy a car, Get yourself a new polish, get yourself driving gloves, you know, suede driving gloves so that you can have it. Or if you're going to be a painter, it won't work unless you actually go out and buy a canvas and some paints and some brushes. You have to take action. The law of attraction does not work until you take action. It's a part of the word. Right. I, I totally agree. I, I think that's where some people miss the mark. Um, you could have all the goal setting that you want. And I, 
I use the analogy of getting in a car and getting ready to drive. Um, the law of attraction works best if you're in motion, is what I say to people. You need to be in motion. And they'll say, well, how, do you, how can you do that if you don't know where you're going? You know what lifestyle you want, but you don't know how to get there. So how can you do that? And I said, this is where science and intuition come together. You get in the car and you pull to the end of your driveway and go left or right. And your intuition will tell you left or right. Then you get to the next intersection, left or right. And if you start listening to your intuition in that way, you can't help but at least achieve part of your purpose. And and then pretty soon, clarity comes and all that. But you have, like you said, you must act. I like to say you may need to be in motion, okay? So one of the things that it, this resonated, I had actually been teaching this myself for so many years, and so I was thrilled to read about it. You talk about... Do something every day. And I want to preface this a little bit uh, for the listeners. We were describing about how you as a business owner may be uh, prospecting a lot. And all of a sudden you get a lot of no's. You get a lot of negativity. Something happens. Something goes wrong. Uh, even if you're a writer, there are times where you just can't seem to get a character to do what you want it to do. Whatever it is that you're doing. There are times where you get discouraged. So how do you bring yourself back up, especially if the wow is too much, too high of an emotional place for you to go? It's, it's hard for you to think about wows when you've been told no by the last four people on the phone, right? So you talk about do something every day. You talk about rehearsing. Please share that a little bit more of that with us. Well, I'm a writer. Uh, I write fiction these days, although I am working on a follow-up book to this one. But the point is, you're not going to write if you don't sit down. If you don't say, I'm going to sit as I do in front of my computer, or if you're that way inclined, I don't pick up my pen and put it on paper. The empty page is going to remain empty until you do something. So do something every day. I've had people say to me on various Facebook groups, yeah, but I I can't do much. And I say to them, okay, how long can you work? Half an hour? How many words can you write in half an hour? 300? That doesn't sound like much, but you do that every single day. And at the end of a year, you've written over 100,000 words. That is a novel. In fact, I was just, uh, I run a spreadsheet, <laughs> systems and computer specialist. Oh, surprise, you have a spreadsheet. Oh my gosh, I'm going to shock and awe at that surprise. <laughs> uh, but basically, there, every book I've got, I keep up to date. Well, once a week or so, how much I've actually done in that, you know, what, what my word count is, total word count. And so I have an idea, but I also do analysis. What's my daily rate? What's my monthly rate? What's my yearly rate? What's my predicted year to date? You know, if, if I carry on at the rate I'm doing year to date, how much will I have done by the end of the year? Now, my average overall average in the last eight years since I started writing, works out that I am doing over 350 words a day. It's 130,000 words a year. Because I do. Now, there are days when I get very little done. I'm doing revisions, which means I'm going back and changing things. I'm editing or I'm rereading or I'm reading something else. There are other days when I... Um, I'm, Last Tuesday, for instance, we had a writing salon with Annalisa Parent. I started a story. I got about 600 words done. 
that story was so good over the next two days, I did another 2,200 words and finished the story. It's now 2,800 words long. I like it. Um, it's a little bit quirky, as many of my things are. But the point is, in two days, I did over 2,000 words. My record is 1,400 words over three days. Sorry, 14,000 words over three days. I was about ready to say, Stephen, I've watched you do 1,400 words in a sitting. <laughs> now, 14, 14, sorry, I was wrong. 14,000 words in three days. That comma is important, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, like the old joke, let's eat grandma or let's eat grandma. Let's eat grandma. <laughs> anyway, Go ahead. The anyway, point, I didn't the mean point is, I, I did that and that was fine. But later in the year... Um, for various reasons, like the fact that I was driving for three days, I got nothing written. So it's averages out. This year, I've managed over 600 words a day, despite the fact I've been writing submissions. Um, in the last four or five months, I've done over 50 submissions, which means writing, researching, all these things. So I'm not getting anything written down except the letters. But because I've done so much else and I'm still committed, even these things, researching what an agent wants, who they are, what their likes and dislikes are, writing a personalized letter to them, sending them the correct synopsis if that's what they want, or reformatting my text for them. I mean, one of my novels has actually got about a dozen different versions because people wanted different versions to make sure they got the right one. I am doing something every single day. And even the days I'm not doing anything, I might decide I'm going to take today off and I'm going to go and blast the existence out of a couple of thousand demons or something. Even there, I know the back of my mind is processing the next story or the story I'm working on, because that's a point for those writers out there. If you feel you've got writer's block, try writing something else. I was writing a novel that just was dead. I wrote a short story. I realized I created an entire narrative universe. I wrote another short story. I wrote another one. Before I knew it, I'd written an entire book. I then got it edited again with Annalisa Parent. She and I worked on it, but she encouraged me to keep going. I've now got four books in that series. I've got three offshoot books in that series. Oh, and the novel's got another 60 odd thousand words to it. Because it turned out that novel, I was doing something that my muse, whoever or whatever that may be, didn't want. And I, it wasn't until I realized I needed to add something I'd put in two paragraphs, needed an entire chapter. And once I did that, bang, we were off again. So the point but, of being able – go ahead. No, I was going to say, but – I had to be, as you put it, I had to be in motion. I had to be writing. So if someone's got writer's block, write, write something, write anything, even about write. I am so frustrated because I can't write anything. You've just written something. Right. And you're exactly. in motion. Yes, you are in motion. One of the things you and I have talked about has been, <clears throat> whether it's writing, painting, sculpting, whatever it is, you must rehearse. So even if it's just you sit down in front of a lump of clay and you know you've you know been really challenged lately when you've been throwing pots, just keep at your art, whatever that is, and get into that uh, scenario. Uh, one last thing that I'd like to talk about, because it doesn't matter if you're a creative or if you're a business owner, it doesn't matter. It's all our, our, our 
art. And that is, you had talked about when you really unleash your dreams and you're living your dreams, that there are times along the way where you're going to have to have these acts of faith. And you said that there were two kinds. It came in, as you said, two flavors. I like that. Um, Preparatory and anticipatory. Do you mind talking to us a little bit about the differences in the acts of faith? Okay. Uh, the... <laughs> Hello? Oh, sorry. You just froze for a moment, so I was a little bit worried there. Um, a preparatory one is you telling the universe you're ready and telling your own unconscious mind you're ready. That's where I was talking about earlier. If you're going to be a painter, go out and get brushes and the, and the canvas and paints. Or um, if you are wanting to have a relationship have you got time for a relationship? Are you so busy with other things in your life that if you've got a girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, whatever, there'd be no time for them. You've got to make the time. You are preparing yourself. If you want new clothes, get rid of the old ones. If you want um, whatever, uh, and paintings, get the paintings off the wall that you've got and get before you go out and buy new ones. The anticipatory ones are slightly different because it is actually doing something active. The others are preparing and making the space and time for it. This is actually stepping forwards. For instance, um, if you are wanting to be rich, buy yourself a little luxury, something you wouldn't normally go in for, um, just something, uh, it might be something as simple as going out and buying yourself a box of chocolates or um, go out window shopping. You are preparing yourself to do that. It's like getting your nervous system ready to do this. Uh, I do talk about the nervous system. Um, examples I have here, if you want to be an, a published author, contact the, uh, the publishers send your stuff out. Um, if you want to do it your own way, then look into how you have to do it. I, when I self-published this book, I spent three, four months beforehand doing online courses, reading people's books about how to publish. What's the best way to do it? If you're going to uh, put it out on paperback, how do you format? If you're going to put it on a Kindle or um, on a Nook or Kobo, what formatting needs do you need to take into account? Little things like that. Or um, another one is you want to buy a car. You know, you don't want that old clunker anymore. You want to go out and buy yourself a nice Beamer or something. Even if you can't afford it at the moment, you can go and sit in it and get to feel what it's like. You are preparing your nervous system to say, it's going to be like this. And, you know, get them to take a picture. Uh, of you sitting in the car, something you can carry around to act as a focus. These are things, you know, you've got to basically put out there into the universe, I'm ready and I am doing something. That's what the tooths are. The preparatory is I'm ready and the anticipatory is I'm doing something in anticipation. And act as if. 
Yeah, act as if. Yep, you mentioned that so many times in the book, act as if this is coming true. So we're about done with uh, this particular episode. But before we go, I always like to give people like yourself who are just a wealth of knowledge. You have so much between your ears. Is there anything else you care to share either about the book or what you're doing that you'd like to let us know about? Well, as I mentioned in passing, I am actually writing a follow-up book. I spend most of my time on fiction because that's just so much fun. Um, But I am working on a follow-up book to this. Um, The working title is uh, Changing Your Life Patterns into Life Path. And it's actually about not changing your goals or even setting your goals. It's about changing yourself into the person who will achieve those goals. How to deal with phobias because phobias are proof that the human brain can learn like that, literally in a split second. Example, I know somebody who is scared of spiders, and it happened once. He woke up at night as a little boy, and in the nightlight, he saw this spider hanging just over his face on a thread. That scared him so much, he's been scared of spiders ever since. Literally, the human brain can learn something in an instant. There are methods in NLP, and I do actually go into that in the book, for dealing with that. Others are how to deal with um, triggers. If you've got something that triggers a particular behavior, how to change that, how to change how you react. I go quite heavily into communication because one of the biggest problems is we don't communicate very well with other people. And it's very often because we don't understand how other people think. I'm not talking about what they're thinking about. I'm thinking of the actual processes. Do they think in pictures? Do they think in words like me? Do they think in feelings? Because if you're trying to communicate with somebody who does not do that the way you do it, you're not going to get through. Case in point, I was working with a guy um, on a project for a large Swiss bank. In fact, the one I mentioned earlier, um, he was the database manager. I was the systems designer and we were trying to create the database, the, the concept. And we just weren't getting anywhere. We'd actually sequestered ourselves in an office, just the two of us for the whole day. And I suddenly noticed he kept redrawing things again and again and again. You know, he'd draw a box for a particular lot of table. And then he would keep redrawing that as we were talking and redrawing. And then I listened to him and he kept talking about concrete and getting a grip on things and feeling how it was and so on. And I realized that he was somebody whose primary system was feeling. Not words like me, not visual like most people, which is what I'd assumed because he kept drawing things, but he was feeling. So I changed the way I was talking to him into feeling words, and within half a day, we, we were finished. We have got it all done because I communicated with him. So I go into that quite heavily. I go into how we think, how you can watch people thinking, so how you can tell what they're doing, and then how you can go establish that rapport that's necessary to communicate at the best level possible. So a lot of writers have people they call beta readers, or you can get on a newsletter and that sort of thing. So if somebody is really interested and they're like, okay, Stephen, I'm all in. I want to be a part of this book. I definitely like to help you write it or, you know, be a beta reader. Where do they go to sign up for your newsletter and to learn more? I don't have a newsletter at the moment. I am working on it. I have two blogs though. One 
um, is stephenoliverblog.com, all one word. Stephen, by the way, with a PH, please, um, which is my personal growth one, which I set up originally when I was writing the book. In fact, that was a part of the process that uh, the teacher was showing. And the other one is my author one, which concentrates more on my fiction side of things. And that's Stephen Oliver dash author.com. So those um, are the areas people can th- go. Those are people more. they can go and read. Um, as I said, newsletter I haven't got yet, but um, if you look on my media kit, you'll find that I've now established a, a Twitter account. I'm on Facebook, so people can contact me there as well if they want to. And um, I'm always happy to talk to people. I'm always happy to give feedback and to help. Um, like you, I'm a teacher. <laughs> right. well, we're dyed in the wool educators, man. There's, if people want to know what we have between our ears, we'll be glad to share it with them. So thank you very much, Stephen. I appreciate so much that you've been on the show with us today and took so much time to share your book with us. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was a very interesting experience. Thank you for listening to the Writer's Hour. To hear more about the creative conversations that Janine Bolin is sharing with her listeners, please visit JanineBolin.com forward slash guest.